I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Thomas O'Neill White. I'm Angelie Preston. We need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is What's Next. A dedicated hour to have important conversations about the issues facing the marginalized and underrepresented communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truth. What's Next continues our mission to discuss race, equity, and the common concerns of Buffalo's East Side and beyond. In the suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. Been a while since we did this. I know, I know. <laughs> like we did this a couple years ago. All right. You're listening to What's Next. I'm host Thomas O'Neill White, and joining me today is Daniel Robertson of Say Yes Buffalo, the director of the Boys and Young Men of Color Initiative and Mentoring Program. Daniel, thank you for being on with us. Man, it's great to be back here with you again, man. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's talk about this new role. You're taking over for Tommy McClam as uh, director for Boys and Young Men of Color Initiative, uh, some pretty big shoes to fill. Definitely huge. Uh, big shout-out to Tommy McClain, my guy. Uh, actually called me and sent me the voicemail today, so I'm waiting for a call back. But, um, man, I've been about almost six months now in a row. It doesn't really feel any different than, you know, what what the work was before because we've been at this now for five, six years, and the goal mm-hmm. initially when I came in was for – you know, if I wanted to move into this role of leadership um, as a director of of our Boys and Men of Color initiative, it would be there for me. And we kind of attacked the work with that framework and that kind of uh, state of mind from the beginning. So uh, Tommy's been training me up for this for years, so it didn't really feel like a major lift, just a little bit more responsibility. Right, right, right. So, so what advice did he leave you with any like words of encouragement i know you guys when i first met you guys you know it was can't have one without the other right what what was some what was some advice he gave to you um really just man keep my head down do the work uh one of the things that he's always said to me that i carry with me daily is just never get to a point where you start to smell your own press right mm. uh stay humble in the work um and just remember that at the end of the day, you know, the the work is really about trying to prepare these young men to be better leaders, to be men in, in the community, to be the future mentors that we know that that the young people that are coming behind them are going to need. So it's really just, you know, staying grounded in the work and keeping the main thing the main thing. What does what does community mean to you? For me, it's right now in this day and age that we're in. It's about bringing back the community that we used to have. So. We, you know, you always hear that term. It takes a village, right? And it seems like over the years that village has been become less of a village. So it's really about kind of repairing and reconnecting the the disconnect that appears we have between school, community, and home, right? Um, so you know, bringing those bridges back together so that our community can truly thrive in the manner that it once was, especially when you talk about, you know, everything that's going on and taking place on the east side of Buffalo. Right, right. right. Why Why do you think the the disconnect exists right now or ha- has has existed for for some years? I would say just shift in the, in the landscape of just 
you know, you take what happened to us a couple of years when we were kind of just forced to pause and slow down because of COVID. Right. Right. And then coming out of that and even during COVID, you had some of the racial uprisings and just some of the system, systemic barriers that we've continued to try to overcome over the years. Um, just the busyness that we have in people's lives, parents working two or three jobs, schools being forced to um, try to do a, a lot more than what they've done in years past. Mm-hmm. Um, we need you know more parents being involved in the schools. Um, you know that buy-in both ways. You know accountability on parents and the school system, but also community as well. There's there are opportunities for different sectors that get involved and. We got to continue to push the envelope and make sure that those people do their part. We all have a role to play, and it's important that we just get back to that point and understanding that. That's certainly like a, a Tommyism, because <laughs> I remember the first conversation I had. He talked about, well, this the city and the area is too siloed. Everybody wants the same thing, it seems, but there's people over here, and there's people over here, and there's people over here, and they're not talking to each other. Right? Is that something that that you look to to bridging those gaps a little bit definitely uh, I, th- I think the role um that i play and and also just say yes as a nonprofit that's been doing a lot of positive and influ- influential impactful work over this the short 11 almost 12 years that we've been in community is is being that connector that bridge builder that that organization that is really willing and able to go out and work uh, with different individuals and organizations and partner to um, ensure that parents and, and students and our 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 district are getting right. some of the things that we know that they know that they need. So uh, we definitely play a huge role in that. I see myself as, uh, especially now in this role, as someone that's trying to kind of bridge the gap between the the OGs and and our younger you know right. population of young men that we're working with. It, it's funny because. You know, I always see Tommy as the OG, and now the young men are kind of looking at me as the OG, and I'm like, I'm not even 40 yet. Like, wait a minute, like I'm still unking big bro. Like, don't give me the Tommy title yet, man. So, just really trying to be that that connector and be a example that that young men can follow. But don't aim to be like Mr. Daniel. Go beyond, you mm-hmm. know, Mr. Daniel. So. But 40's around the corner for you, though, right? Man, we're not going to talk about how close 40 <laughs> is or may not be, all right? <laughs> I'm coming up on 41, so. <laughs> no, that's a, beautiful, that's, a be- that's a beautiful time, though, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> what has changed or what has grown over the years for breaking barriers um, for um, boys and young men of color? Man, it's been, what, six years, right? So, right. To think about where we started when, you know, in a room with young people and some of the elders and kind of older gentlemen, more seasoned gentlemen that mm-hmm. are a part of our community and sitting in the room and saying that we're going to build this program from scratch, from what the colors and the logo are to where we meet, how often we meet, to what is what are these programmatic elements going to look like and have young young voices in a room actually doing that it's rare that you see that so to see where we are now a couple grad couple graduating classes embarking on a couple different initiatives uh we have the uh breaking bears youth sport management leadership academy that has kicked off with uh our program uh supervisor slash manager jamie and uti who's doing a phenomenal job leading that work where 
we start to teach young men about the other side of sports, right? So so often our young men are so focused on, I'm going to the NBA. Right. I'm going to the NFL. And you never want to be a dream killer, right? You want young men to have these aspirations, but we also want them to be realistic at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not up 4.30, 5.30 in the morning and you have a coach or a trainer that you're working with, day in and day in out and you're putting the right things in your body and you understand the level of energy and the grind that it takes to actually elevate to that level right mm -hmm. chances are you you won't you know you won't ascend to that level maybe you'll make it and be a college ball player play d1 d2 right. d3 but there's a plethora of other opportunities involved in sports yeah within that sports framework there's so much to do exactly we use lebron as a, as, as an example right now, I love everything that LeBron does off the court. Not the biggest fan of him on the court. You know what? Charles should be interviewing you right now. <laughs> yeah, because Kobe was my guy. Charles knows that. Kobe was definitely my guy, still is my guy. But LeBron is a perfect example of you look at everything he's doing off the basketball court. But for him to, you know, he's on record. I spend a million dollars a year on my body, right? But right. think about everything that goes into that. You probably have a nutritionist a chef, and they're not the same thing, although mm -hmm. they could have both of those uh, skill sets, right? Right. You have you might have a, a physical therapist. You may have a physical trainer. You know, you may have, you know, people that are monitoring just, I don't know, certain things. You can have that, a psychologist. Right, a psychologist. You have a number of people that are looking at you from a, a mind, body, spirit, your just physical everything. Right. You look at Rich Paul, right? Mm -hmm. Just put out a book, agent, several different clients. These are not necessarily fields and careers that our young men think about when they think about sports, right? So we're trying to expose them to those different opportunities and also encourage them to go into coaching and becoming referees because those are those are opportunities in sports, right? So um, I love the referee part because one of the things with Kobe is that he would, you know, study the refs. Yes. He would study the rule book. Mm -hmm. So he's like, I, if I see a ref is positioned over here, I know I could get away with a tug on a jersey yeah. over here. So as an athlete, it's to your advantage <laughs> to kind of learn the tricks of the trades of being a referee because it can help you in your game. Kobe showed us that. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, are you doing things differently now that you are in this position? You said, yeah, I got a little more you know, leadership, I got a little more on my plate. Um, are you doing things a little different from what Tommy did, or are you still kind of growing into the position? I think it's a little bit of both. I think there's growth uh, within myself and just understanding that there's a different level of responsibility that I now have, as well as – maybe not so much different, but adding kind of putting my own kind of twist and my own energy staple on it. Mm -hmm. Right. Because the goal is to, it, it was hand passed on, handed off to me. Right. Yeah. And the goal there is always to take it from where it was to another, another level. Right. So I think, you know, with different individuals, different skill sets, different backgrounds, um, some different passions. Naturally, you have some differences from what it was to, 
you know, what you're aspiring it to be. And I think Tommy would be the first one to say that, you know, I want you to take it and run with it and, you know, take it to another, a level that I couldn't. And I think he empowered me to do that. So there's one thing he does. It's empower people. Definitely. So talk about talk to me about fostering leadership qualities in these young men. Um, every time I see these guys, it's like, wow, they are they're smart, they're funny, they're well read, they're just they're kids, but they've got such good heads on their shoulders. I'm always I'm always impressed by that. Talk to me about about bringing bringing leadership qualities to these young men. I think about that at at the end of the day when you look at just some of the young men that I know you've had a chance to kind of sit down with and talk to uh the Dorian with Rose who's now I think Dorian's on this he might be working on this third book. I know he has yep. two out there, right? Uh-huh. Um for him to go from a point where in school working, now writing books. You got Malik who Malik Stubbs who I've worked with over a number of years from when he was, I think, an intern over at City Hall, you know, and he interned with us, myself and Tommy, around the time that we were starting to get Breaking Berries off the ground to him being so involved and wrapped up in community and caring so much about it, to Jamie who's come up through the Leadership Council and now is, you know, essentially helping to run our BMOC initiative, right? you see these just natural progressions and and that's what you you want to see in young men is that them applying some of the concepts and skills that they've learned especially when you talk about fostering community and being mm-hmm. so entrenched and involved but them doing it in their own way them finding their own niche to contribute as a positive individual human being in society Right, and I think also the accountability within the group. Everyone is accountable for each other. Somebody talks out of turn, no, 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 no. We're going to let this person who is speaking continue to speak. You can speak next. Stuff like that. Always, I'm always impressed by that. Yeah, you try to build these, these certain skill sets into young men, and everything doesn't click right away, yeah. right? You may, you know, pour into a young man for years and you're like you're just waiting for the light bulb to go on. But a couple of years down the line, you know, you may cross paths and it's like, okay, all right, you said something to me. It made me think about, you know, something I tried to pour into you before. And now because of what you just said to me, I know somewhere something clicked. Yeah. Right. And when you start to see that, you start to see the light bulbs go on, that's – uh, you know, that's what it's all about for me. You know, the I think the key here is when you start to see young men that have gone through the program and now they become the mentors and community. That's right. when you know it worked. Right. Because at the end of the day, that's really what we're trying to do. Like we want you to learn some stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we want you to be successful find your passion and your purpose in life. But when it comes full circle and now you're doing what someone else did for you, that's what it's about. I think when we first met, I was working on a story about changing the narrative around perceptions of young black and brown men. Um, But given the allure of what they see on TV, 
or through social media, just these negative stereotypes. Is it challenging at times to keep them focused on on what they're doing on their tasks? I would say extremely. Uh, when you think about it, for me, when I look at this work, it's about touch points, right? Mm-hmm. How much impact can you have within those touch points? And I mean, the more touch points that you have with a person, the more influence that I think you can have. And our phones, you know, laptops, just being able to have basically the world at your fingertips can be a huge detriment sometimes right. for young people especially. They can get so absorbed in what they see on social media, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, uh, yep. Snapchat, um, that it feels like you're constantly battling what they might be hearing in rap lyrics versus what they're seeing on the YouTubes and, and social media. So it's almost this always constant battle. So in a way you have to find that niche between utilizing the devices and avenues in which they communicate right, to right. communicate on their level and get your messaging in there at the same time. Yeah, it's 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 a far cry from how we grew up, where it was oh just like God. BET and MTV. That's that's what you got, and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> um, talk to me about your barbershop talk series. What's the focus of the series? So the barbershop talk series kind of has evolved out of the work that myself and Antoine Johnson over at Buffalo Perinatal Prenatal Network have been doing over the course of a couple of years together. So uh, the Breaking Beers Retreat, we've collabed on those and we had an opportunity to, uh, you know, put in a proposal for a grant through the Office of Mental Health and their Reimagine I in a Change. Um, Is this kind of the county? Uh, Office of, of Mental Health, so state, federal okay. dollars, right? Um, and this is kind of like a non-traditional approach to uh, mental health. So really something that's kind of unprecedented. Uh, big shout out to Dr. Uh, Jennifer Lewis Johnson, who's spearheading mm-hmm. that effort here in Buffalo, New York, and allowing us kind of the flexibility to do some things that are a little bit out of the box. So the barber, the premise of the Barbershop Talk series and our mental health wellness initiative in general is to create these brave and safe spaces for men to come together, build, bond, connect around the topic of of mental health, right? So the Barbershop Talk series is just that. We decided that, hey, let's get in contact with some barbershop owners and say, hey, let's we want to bring these types of conversations into your barbershop. And I think you can attest to this. The barbershop is a a place where we normally would just come together, connect, and just talk the talk anyway and really kind of serves as a community space for mentorship, right? So, I mean, we have conversations in barbershop. Why not bring this into that arena as well in regards to mental health? And it's something that's important, especially when you talk about black and brown boys. Right. So so the focus of the series is mental health. Now, do you, from from episode to episode, is it like different facets of mental health? Um, talk to me about the last one you did. So the last one we actually talked about, the premise was really, what are some things that you all, men in this space, are doing to ensure that you're in a good space mentally, right? Uh, so we talked about everything from 
exercise to yoga to meditation to uh, making sure that you're putting the right foods in your body, making sure that you're getting enough sleep, um, making sure that you, you know, you have someone, a go-to person, a mentor, somebody that you can talk to. And if it rises to a level above that, that you, you know, seriously think and consider seeking some um help from a uh, you know a mental health professional someone that can help you kind of just navigate all the things that comes with life especially when you talk about being a black man right, right. Uh, growing up in in buffalo growing up in america and everything that we oftentimes have on our shoulders that we just don't open up and talk about and, and the week before that we talked about depression and we talked about stress right and, and where those things tend to manifest themselves and come from and how you go about dealing dealing with those things. Lively conversations? Oh, definitely, man. It's it's grown. Uh, we, we just finished up the third session. It's grown each week. It's just building momentum. It's to the point now where people are kind of like, can you guys continue this? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that we're going to explore. Maybe not, you know, on a week-to-week basis, but maybe – you know, twice a month, maybe once a month, just in these spaces where men can come together. And that's, it's lovely when you see men in a space being open and vulnerable, talking about things that are impacting them. How did you talk, speaking of mental health, how did you talk to your guys following 514? Yeah. Tough, tough conversations? Yeah, a um, little bit. I mean, it's still, it feels like it's still fresh in the minds of a a lot of individuals Mm -hmm. for, I mean, I I have to speak for myself, you know, with the say yes, our administrative office being, you know, right down the street on Jefferson is, you know, every time you ride by it, you think about it, right? So uh, we definitely had conversations around it. One of the things that happened during that time is that some of our young men were actually uh, being trained to be through Eric County Restorative Justice Coalition to be Healing Circle restorative justice uh, circle trainers. So after 514, um, our young men started going out into community and hosting circles so that people could talk about their feelings and reactions to 514. And I think through that, um, it helped them because while doing that, in the midst of that, they're helping others to kind of process their Mm -hmm. emotions and, and just talk through a very tough time. And they were taking, they were taking that leadership role themselves? Right. Yep. Definitely taking that leadership role. It was something that um, anytime we have an inkling or an idea, we'll sit down and, you know, um, talk about it with the young men. And they were excited about it. Uh, several of them signed up. They took took it and ran with it. And But the beautiful thing about that is now they have a skill set that they can use mm-hmm. and potentially, you know, if you know, generate your own income from it. That's one of the things within Breaking Barriers. We're always trying to teach those young men to, to find those legal hustles, <laughs> as, as Tommy would say. And they were also um, featured on NBC? Yeah, featured on NBC. Uh, a couple months after that, when they came in to kind of do a just check in on community and see how community has responded to that. So it was nice uh, for those young men to be you know, recognized for the work that, they, that they've been doing and engaged in the community. Where do you see Boys and Young Men of Color, the initiative, um, in the next five to ten years? Uh, well, as Tommy would say, if I'm still doing, if Daniel's still here doing this in five to ten years, then I haven't done my job because I'm now tasked with ensuring that, you know, mm-hmm. I pour into mm-hmm. – 
you know, a, a young person that may want to take this and run with it after, you know, I'll get to that point where it's time to kind of not so much. Yeah, it won't be hanging it up for me like Tommy did. It'll be transitioning into whatever that next thing is for me. Right. Um, so that would be one of the major goals that I would have ahead of me is exactly what Tommy did for me is doing it for somebody else. The other thing is that while I'm in this role and have this opportunity is to build and expand breaking barriers, right? Uh, one of our key goals this year and next year is to expand into the Buffalo Public Schools and be working with um, more administrators and, and students in uh, some of the school buildings that we just know could benefit from, you know, this initiative along with the My Brother's Keeper work that they're already doing in the schools. Now, what would that look like if you're coming into the schools? and where, Is that like an after-school program? Is that like a Saturday, Saturday morning kind of, kind of thing? So right now, we currently, we're in the school buildings on Saturdays due to the partnership with um, the community schools, mm -hmm. right? So we operate on the Saturdays that um, they host at Bennett. We also have a partnership with uh, one of the charter schools, and we're also currently we're working at one of the uh, Buffalo Public Schools. And what that looks like is we come in during the school day and we run run session. So we run the young men through our 30 lesson curriculum um, that was uh, developed by Dr. Fatima Morale over at Buffalo Public Schools. Mm -hmm. um, but the curriculum, the topics, the input all came from the young men. So we sat down with them years ago. What do you guys want to? What should we talk about? What, should, what do you guys want to learn about? What interests you all? They gave us some topics. We started to build out the curriculum. And now that's what we utilize when we go into the school buildings. Along with, you know, if there's something current that's going on in the world that's impacting our community, we bring that into the mix as well. What are some of the topics that, like, were originally brought up? So one of the, the big ones is, and we always tend to lead with this, this is always probably within the first two to three sessions, it's, talking about passion and purpose, mm -hmm. right? Because what once a young man kind of understands what they like, what they love, um, those things that make them kind of tick, uh, the things that you may think about that keep you up keep you up at night in a in a good way, you start to unlock what that what that passion is, right? And then that helps to define what your purpose is in life. So we find that we like to kind of have that conversation along with under, helping young men to understand who they are as a person and what they bring um, to the world, right? So those are like always influential right. when you when you start to have those initial conversations. You sit down and just um, building relationships with young men. What's next for you and the Boys and Young Men of Color Initiative heading into the new year? New year, um, again, expansion, uh, building, breaking breaking barriers up, uh, continuing to expand into more schools, uh, building up a team, because right now we are a team of two, myself and Jamie, and before it was myself and, and Tommy and those collection of young men. So mm -hmm. continuing to build out the team so that we can have a broader impact, um, continuing to uplift the voices of young men through our podcast, uh, the Breaking Barriers podcast, continuing to push on issues that tend to impact boys and men of color in a negative way, um, continuing to build uh, and establish partnerships. Um, I love the partnership that we have with Antoine Johnson um, and Buffalo Perinatal Prenatal. Uh, we have a couple different initiatives that are rolled into that uh the uh, work that we're doing with Office of Mental Health, so uh, spearheading that work. Um, it's Talk just, to me about the uh, fitness boot camp. 
so yeah, uh, big shout out to uh, Gentino Copeland over at G Coat Fitness. He will be leading our our young men within breaking barriers and also men from community through uh, some boot camp uh, workout sessions. That uh, there's a direct line between your mental health and physical health, right? right? Um, I know when I get up in the morning, if I get up at 5 o'clock, 5.30 in the morning, and I go to the gym, my days are so much smoother, right? Because I'm, it just, it feels good when you come from the gym, you're just ready to take on the day. So we're I'm more to, of a night nighttime workout guy. I, I, <laughs> I, kudos to you because um, <laughs> going to the gym after work is like, you know, it's like sardines packed in <laughs> tin, tin can, man. It's hard because so many people in the gym. Right. I like right. to get in, get out. You know, do some supersets, move from machine to machine. I don't like to wait. Um, but, yeah, I just – it puts me in a in a very good space when I have some physical exercise and activity, right? So um, around the physical aspect, Gentino also – you know, he has some young men that he works with and speaks life into. So we're going to get some of that too. Um, there's going to be a – and that's, that's – it's limited. Uh, like we have like 40 slots Per uh-huh. session, there's going to be four sessions. I'll make sure I get the information over to you, but yeah, we got please four, do. four dates um, set aside for that. We are in the process of trying to put together a winter one-day retreat out of Holiday Valley so the young men and men, fathers, sons, will get a chance to go do some snow tubing and skiing out of Holiday Valley, kind of introduction into uh, some physical activity in a sport that men of color don't typically engage right. in. Right, yep. Um, but also have fun in the snow. Um, you know, during the wintertime, you can be cooped up in the house, and that can cause folk to kind of be down and depressed and, as they used isolated. to say, kind of yeah, isolated, right? So we want to kind of get away from that and um, engage in just things that, one, expose men to stuff that we just typically don't do, but like I said before, uh, create these spaces where we can come together, build behind um, naturally, Right, and you see relationships come out of that. You're seeing it with the barbershop talks already. Uh-huh. There was a young man who was uh, mentioned Tuesday that he was just struggling with some things. Um, and I won't yeah. share what those things are, but really struggling, right? But for him to be open in a space where he doesn't know this room full of men, right? That's what it's about. Yeah. And to see men come over to that young man and say, hey, if you need someone to talk to, give me a call. Here's my business card. You want to see those types of things. So through this initiative, we're creating those uh, opportunities for men to do that. So um, lots more. There's a summit that we're planning for January around mental health and increasing awareness around mentoring. That's going to be really, really fun. Excited for that. And we're also engaging in a uh, men's empowerment summit that the city of Buffalo um, is going to be leading well, is leading. That's going to take place March 9th at Northland. Uh, so lots, lots, lots going wow. on, man, and all positive wow. stuff. So super excited. Uh, can be a little stressful at times, uh-huh. but, you know, just what we signed up for. On- onwards and upwards, right? Onward and upward, baby. Yes. This is what's next. I want to thank my guest today, Daniel Robertson, the director of the Boys and Young Men of Color Initiative at Say Yes Buffalo. Daniel, thank you for being on with us today. It was a pleasure to catch back up with you, man. I look forward to us uh, reconnecting, staying connected, and uh, doing more of this. Man. Absolutely. It's been fun. Absolutely. Thanks, man. More What's Next to Come after this brief message.
This is the Buffalo Toronto Public Media History Bite, bringing you a peek into significant historical events for the week of December 11th through December 17th. I'm your host and program director, Tom Barich. December 12, 1943, saxophonist and jazz legend Grover Washington Jr. was born in Buffalo on this day. This is recent, but interesting to note that the first COVID vaccine in New York State happened in Buffalo on December 14, 2020. One of the larger companies from the later 19th and early 20th centuries, the Larkin Soap Company, was incorporated in Buffalo on December 14, 1892. Early on, the company was so successful that Frank Lloyd Wright designed their administration building in 1905. And elections are clearly in the news, especially with the upcoming year. And on December 15, 1987, George H.W. Bush, who was vice president at the time, came through Western New York and delivered a campaign speech running for president. You've been listening to the WBFO History Bite. Discover more stories about Western New York's past on the Buffalo History Museum's website. Learn more at buffalohistory.org. For Buffalo Toronto Public Media, I'm Tom Barich. the heartwarming tale, It's a Wonderful Life, performed as a radio play by the Niagara University Theatre Department and presented by WBFO, your NPR station. Hear the story of George Bailey, who gives up on his personal dreams to help others in his community. Listen to It's a Wonderful Life on WBFO on Friday, December 31st at 11 a.m. Birds, whether common or rare, delight me. That's what our new Now We're Birding and Enjoying Nature Club is all about. Oh yes, and the best is being with people who are also interested in wildflowers, animals, and of course, birds. Come along with us, won't you, Peter Hall and me, Stratton Rawson, as we lead monthly excursions to Tift or Rhinestein Woods Nature Preserves. To sign up, go to wned.org front slash birding. Hey, is this thing on? Test, test, one, two. Sounds great. Let's go. The podcast world is overflowing with more than 750,000 podcasts to choose from. But for great local podcasts, you can now go to one place, the new Amplify BTPM Pods app. Here you can discover content produced in Western New York and Southern Ontario, our own backyard. With a wide variety of genres to choose from, there is something for everyone. Listen to the best independently produced podcast in the region anywhere, anytime. Download the free Amplify BTPM Pods app wherever you get your apps and begin exploring your local podcast community now. Did you know that WNED PBS is always working on great new local shows for you to watch? Documentaries like Kleinhand's Gift to Buffalo, which tells the story of Buffalo's music hall. The hall is very intimate. And that intimacy makes everyone who comes in here feel a part of our family. Fun and educational series like Compact Science. Believe it or not, peppers are technically fruits. And Shakespeare's greatest hits featuring some of his best-known soliloquies and monologues. We are such stuff as dreams are made of. You can watch them all on our website at wned.org slash local shows. While you're there, check out the show pages and many websites for additional content such as bonus features, photo galleries, and lesson plans. Find it all at wned.org slash local shows. You're listening to What's Next, 
our place to discuss the important issues of our communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We want to hear from you. Click on the Talk to Us option in the WBFO app, and we will work to get your questions or comments on the air. Do you have a story or concern that we should be addressing? Email us using what's next at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. Our guest on What's Next is Dean Seneca, CEO of Seneca Scientific Solutions. Dean Seneca's scientific expertise is varied, to say the least. A trained epidemiologist, he worked in Africa at the height of the Ebola epidemic. His educational background includes urban planning and architecture. But his main focus now is helping tribal communities as they work to improve health outcomes. This is the first part of a longer conversation we had with Dean Seneca. We'll be airing the rest of that talk in the near future. Dean Seneca, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You know, Dean, your experience as an epidemiologist, as also you're involved in city planning, you've got all sorts of really fascinating experience. But, you know, one of the reasons I know that we wanted to get you in here is also the understanding that you're in the work that you're doing and understanding the addiction issue, crisis that's mm-hmm. impacting. Obviously, it's, it's widespread in society, but in your case, you're taking a look at how it's impacting native populations. Let's maybe just start with a general question. What don't we understand about how it's impacting native populations? I think, well, the big misunderstanding is that, um, you know, these addictions that we're seeing is really, uh, really um, a reflection or a response to um, a term that is now being more accepted in the uh, public health medical field, uh, intergenerational trauma, you know. So Native people have experienced uh, uh, a huge amount of trauma in the last, um, you know, since contact, but we could say the last 300 years. And, you know, through contact, through treaty making, through uh, removal policy, through reservation policies, through the boarding schools uh, where, you know, our people at, you know, children were taken from their parents and put into these, um, let's just call them what they are, militarized um, concentration camps uh, for um, Native people. This is where a lot of ethnic cleansing actually happened. And, you know, um, this is where people were made to be ashamed of themselves, you know. Um, and, um, and this is where really a lot of colonialism got its deep uh, claws on our native populations, right? Um, and uh, just to, you know, in the words of Richard Pratt, um, General Richard Pratt, um, to kill the Indian and save the man, mm. right? So, you know, through this, you know, that's another era where there's a, a ton of trauma inflicted on Native people. And we can go to 1934 Reorganization Act, where the government kind of said, hey, uh, man, we really have messed up Indian country, and man, it problems are so bad, we don't even know what to do about it. Um, right before that was the Dawes Act, in which you know, uh, tribal people really lost um, 
you know, three quarters of our land base. Um, and then it, you could go to, you know, relocation and the termination policies, literally, which went all the way up to 1968. So you think about it in our lifetime, it was the policy of the U.S. government to terminate Indians. You're no longer Indian. You know, we're going to move you all to the urban centers, and we want you to be part of this great melting pot called the United States. And, um, you know, a, a reminder to that point, you know, Rome was an empire too. Mm. So, you know, um, all of these different traumas that have impacted Native people have, uh, you know, um, you know, put us into a situation where, you know, we've, we're very strong. We're very resilient, you know, people. And we've survived all of this, but we've never healed from it. And because we've never healed from it, uh, how do we act out? Well, we act out through coping. And coping is, you know, addictions, right? And, you know, uh, in the past, it was alcohol. You know, we've, there's no big secret that, uh, you know, um, you know, the, the stigma around natives and alcohol and that, uh, you know, we were, um, we were not exposed to it, you know, uh, um, centuries like the Europeans have. And, you know, I always thought that was a bunch of crap. Um, and, uh, you know, but we, there's no secret now that there is a big alcohol problem in Indian country. And, uh, you know, and that's how we're acting out. But here's the thing. Alcohol is a slow death, right. usually, right? takes a very, very long time. Um, but now people are acting out with much hard, harder kinds of drugs, much, um, you know, more severe um, um, death-killing kind of things that are not even experimental, right? Um, and uh, and that's how and that's how it's impacting us. So um, because of all of these traumas, because we really haven't healed, and how do we cope? We cope through. Um, through these really bad, nasty substances um, that keep a, that keep us addicted and keep us uh, numb, you know, because we really haven't con- confronted uh, uh, a lot of these different traumas. Um, but you know, I'm working to really uh, try to address that, where we can have uh, conversations, where we can bring our community together um, to to help us heal. You know, we, we, you know, you and I were talking before we went on the air just about getting back. You just mentioned it, and I, I, I'm curious about that. You sense or see getting back to that idea that women, their role, children, the value of them. You're seeing that um, in Native communities? Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm actually seeing uh, a lot of that. I think this this generation that's coming up, I, I don't know the names of X, Y, Z. Right. I, I, don't, I don't know. But I know I, I'm not I, one I, of them. Yeah, yeah. I know, like, you know, our generation, um, you know, um, no. You know, kind of hardcore. We were, our generation was really spirited in being tough and strong and being able to overcome that. Don't cry, you know. And I think this generation is really seeing the importance of showing your feelings. You know, it's okay to cry. It's okay if you're a man and you cry, you know. Um, I really do see a big change. And I attest and I tell my students this all the time that the world has really changed after George Floyd. 
you know, um, you know, I could, you know, for 30 some odd years, I was preaching, um, you know, uh, American Indian sovereignty, you know, health, goodwill, um, you know, but, um, and no one would listen, you know, no one would listen. We never had a platform. We never had a voice, you know, it was just always just, um, you know, gone to the wayside. But I really do believe after George Floyd that the world has changed. Now we do have a, and I tell my students all the time, you have a platform. People are going to listen, you know, do what's right, you know, you know, go and preach the good word, you know, um, advocate strongly for equity and equality, you know, and embrace our differences and diversity because that's what really makes us strong. And one of the things we haven't mentioned, but you're just alluding to it, is that, you know, you do teach at the University of Buffalo as well, besides the uh, the work that you're doing with the University of Rochester. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing that, because I'm assuming that you have a general population of, of students, are they embracing an understanding of what life is like for a Native population? Uh, yes. Um, first off, I, you know, when I tell them that, I wanted to say that, uh, I want to say that, you know, I don't think they really understand what I mean. Like, oh, you have a platform, you have a voice. I don't think they really understand the whole change that has happened after George Floyd, right? But, you know, when I, so in, in the class that I teach, well, at both UB and the University of Rochester, I really do teach uh, American history from an indigenous perspective, right? And when I start to pull out and t- discuss like these events, uh, boarding schools, for example, my students are outraged, outraged that they didn't know this. They're outraged. How come we didn't learn this stuff in high school? You know, and they're like, like really, really upset. And by the end of the semester, I usually have about 30 students who all want to work for me. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> you know, because they're like, I got to be part of this change. I got to be part of making it better for Native people throughout the country, you know. Um, and that's great, you know. Um, uh, actually, I just hired one of my former students full time. Um, that was in my field epidemiology class because, you know, they're just so uh, committed to want to make a difference. And I, I've hired some of my past students, too, where I hired a student one time and I said, I, I really, you know, when in the very beginning, I really can't pay anything. I can, I can only pay like $10 an hour. And they're like, I'll take it, <laughs> you know. So, um, you know, I just get them really, really fired up. And uh, I just, uh, you know, I based everything on truth. You know, truth, you know, really look at what happened, you know. Um, and, you know, truth is hard to tell when history is wrote by the conqueror, right? I don't like to say that we were conquered because we're still here. Right. Um, but um, I would say that they won the first battles, you know, we're yet to... Uh, and we're yet to come back, um, you know, um, and and we're we're going to rise above this. But I really do feel that, you know, Native people are going to do it with a with a sense of tradition, 
you know, not with a sense of revenge, you know. Um, I, I do feel uh, strong that, uh, um, you know, we're, 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 we're getting, we're going to get our voices, uh, our voices heard. Um, and, you know, and we're slowly doing that. We're slowly, slowly doing that. I like to always ask um, guests, a frequent question is, are you hopeful? I think you just kind of answered that. I want to ask you this, and this is, though your, your focus right now, a lot of it is on, you know, helping Native populations, helping um, your community. We've had some conversations. We had a conversation with a local professor who wrote a book on the Thomas School. He also wrote another book about uh, the American Indian as well. And as he was talking about it, really, I thought, you know, spoke very highly about the traditions that come from Natives. As you look at what's going on in the United States, and this is general, and we hear all the, the discourse, and it's, it gets pretty nasty. Do you think that, that America, the society, could really benefit from understanding the lessons, the traditions of Native Americans? And that maybe that yeah. is what could be, what, what could uh, heal what's, what's happening? You mean this great experiment called the United States? And where it is right as, now today. Uh, as, uh, as Joe Biden would say, uh, <laughs> this idea. Um, um, uh, man, you know, I, I really do think that um, we're at a place where we have to really look at what has happened in the past. Uh, so it's not repeated in the future. I don't really think that we have many parts of the country that don't really uh, accept or trying to rewrite what has happened in the past, you know. Um, you know, we had that uh, group in the, so in the South, what was it, the... Was it the Women's Confederacy that tried to rewrite the South's history of uh, and trying to glorify uh, slavery? Right. And um, you know that does that doesn't help. That didn't help anything. You know, uh, really, it just exasperated you know hard feelings and just drew a light to that. I I really do think that you know. Good, bad, or indifferent, um, regardless of what race you are, you know, I think we need, you know, people need to acknowledge the wrongs that have happened. And if they were at the hands of a certain group, well, they need to be acknowledged because we're not going to move forward as a country and heal until we do that. We're going to still have this contention. We're going to have this bipolar opposites. Uh, that exists today. We're going to have all of this contention until we could all come together and say, okay, yes, this was done at the hands of this group and we all acknowledge it. It should be, um, it should be taught in our high schools. Um, you know, um, because that's the only way we're going to heal. And, and my, my, my clear cut example that I've seen in my lifetime is this. You know, um, 
when kids are, I'm getting, I don't want to get emotional, but I'm, I'm almost gonna, um, when kids are taught the real history, when kids are taught the differences among their, um, racial ethnic groups at a very young age, when they're taught their differences between, uh, white, black, uh, American Indian, Hispanic, um, Asian, um, uh, when when they're really really taught you know the history of why they're different, uh, they grow up um, with a certain amount of acceptance, and they grow up um, embracing everybody's difference and understanding each other. Um, when kids are not brought up with that, and they learn something at a different, uh, very later in life. Um, those differences are usually settled in the courtroom. Those differences are usually set, settled with policies um, that you know um, that are separate but not equal. Right. Um, those differences are settled um, through executive orders that target one group over another. Uh, those are usually develop, which in turn people develop policies that exclude one group um, uh, versus the, uh, the greater good of everybody else. So we, we only have to benefit by teaching our young people um, to love, teaching our young people empathy, teaching our young people the differences and that it's okay to be different. Um, you know, um, character is much more important than the color of your skin. Um, and when kids learn these differences at a young age, they embrace them for the better. And, um, and then it just alleviates a lot of headache and remorse that, uh, when, when people are not, uh, educated to these issues at a young age, and they learn about them later in life. Um, it usually results in policies that are um, anti-American, uh, anti-social, and um, and at the root of a lot of hate. Dean Seneca, uh, I appreciate the conversation here today, and we didn't even get to talk about your work with Ebola in Africa, which I have, I have to get into some other time too, but uh, sure, we'll do that at another date. But I know we're, we're out of time here, but I really do appreciate what you brought to the table today for us. No problem, and uh, I'd love to be invited back. Consider and, an open invitation. Okay, great, <laughs> and uh, we can set up another time to talk about uh, indigeneity and uh and health i really appreciate that dean seneca with us uh his company is called seneca scientific solutions plus he has been our guest today on what's next and this is what's next on wbfo and wbfo hd1 buffalo wolan olean and wubj jamestown your npr station